Well, thank you to the choir. It has been a while since we've heard you other than the cantata, so thank you for leading us in worship this morning. It is good to be here with you. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, the week and the wonderful snow, and some of us got an extra 72 hours with our children this week that we had not anticipated, and it was amazing. Amen? Amen. I do hope that you were able to get outside, though, this week and to enjoy it. It really was beautiful out there. And uh, hopefully, as you've been able to tell, as we kind of uh, were singing these songs today, uh, that we are going to take a little detour this morning into the Psalms. And so we're going to be looking at the 23rd Psalm today uh, as we continue to look at the life of David. And so I invite you uh, to hear uh, these words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me, in the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would speak to us through the words of the 23rd Psalm. Open us up to what you might have us to hear. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So during our look at the life of David, um, we want to look not just at the actions that we can see clearly in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, but we also want to try to understand David's heart even more. And there's no better way to do that than by looking at the Psalms. Now, Pastor Scott says um, that there are about 70 Psalms that are attributed to uh, David traditionally. I, I actually didn't fact check him, so I, I hope that he's right. But S Scott has never said anything that isn't true, it doesn't seem like. And so I'm sure that it is. And of all of those, this is clearly the most well-known. Even if one didn't grow up in a church or in a synagogue, they very likely have heard this particular psalm many times. It's oftentimes used, of course, uh, in funerals. But as I was thinking about it this week, it's kind of the same issue that we have with David, where we kind of know it, and which means that sometimes it's hard for us to hear things anew or afresh, and sometimes maybe we think that this should just be restricted to funerals. Uh, but it seems to me that probably this 23rd Psalm can say something to us about our daily life as well. And so that's what I want us to wrestle with today. And because it's just six verses long, uh, I'm going to do this a little differently than usual. We're just going to kind of go through it verse by verse. And I just want to point out one or two things about each of these verses for us to just kind of think about. And hopefully there will be something as we do this that you're able to take with you this week. It begins, of course, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As you probably know, uh, during this time when this psalm was being written, uh, oftentimes kings and rulers were given the image of a shepherd. 
Uh, the shepherd is there. It's someone who you can trust. It's someone who will lead you well. And in Isaiah 40, we get this kind of beautiful description of a shepherd. I'll just read one verse there. It says that he will feed his flock like a shepherd, gather the lambs in his arms, carry them in his bosom, and lead those that are with young to a resting place. You get a sense there in the beginning of, of the shepherd as a, as a nurturing caretaker. And uh, Scott Hosey says that, uh, that, that one of the reasons why this particular psalm resonates so deeply with so many of us is that in our core, we know that all of us want to be taken care of. All of us want to be loved and nurtured. And so this particular beginning, just all of a sudden, it helps us to, to get a sense of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. And for Christians, uh, we of course also go to the life of Jesus. And maybe you remember John 10, where Jesus says, I am the shepherd and I will lay down my life for my sheep. Or of course, the famous story that Jesus tells about the fact that if you are one of the 99, that's fine, but that Jesus will, the shepherd, as Jesus, will go and find the last one, the one that is lost, the one that perhaps has been forgotten, that he will go back and find that sheep, which is, of course, incredibly helpful for all of us. Because all of us, at one point or another in our lives, and oftentimes several times in our lives, are afraid that perhaps we have been forgotten, perhaps we have been left behind, and we are told that the shepherd will continue to come and find us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, not yet, I shall not want. That was on me, that was my fault. I shall not want, I set you up. Now oftentimes when it comes to the I shall not want, we think that that's kind of words of comfort, and it is in one sense, to be sure, you know. It means that God's going to provide for us, that God is going to care for us. But there is also, if we have ears to hear, there is an implicit challenge as well in this particular line, which means that our deepest longings and desires, our deepest wants are coming from the Lord, which means they cannot come from anything else. And that, of course, is incredibly challenging in a society that is constantly trying to tell us that we don't have enough that we are not enough. And so here we have, in the sense, you have Jesus saying that the shepherd, that from the Lord you shall have your deepest longings, all of your wants and your desires, and at the exact same time, we have a society, and oftentimes even those things within ourselves, that are saying we do not have enough, that we are not enough. And so while David, of course, had to encounter true bears and, and, and true lions... We oftentimes, the bears and the lions that we face, are those that will continually try to devour us and saying, no, 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 you have to keep going. You don't have enough. You are not enough. And I love what one commentator said. He said, he said sheep oftentimes nibble themselves to death. What he means by that is that, is that oftentimes they don't care about anything. They're just trying to get fed. So they'll just eat and eat and eat and, and will not be paying attention to anything going on around them. And they will eat themselves into a deep ravine where they get lost. Or they will eat themselves into the jaws of a, of a, of a lion. Or it's, a tiger is a lion. I can never. It's a lion. Yeah, a lion or a bear. See, again, Pastor Scott always coming through for me. So there he is. And, and we just kind of nibble our way. We just think, oh, this tastes good. This tastes good. But how often do we keep following after our own needs or wants and thinking that they are going to be the thing that sustains us? And then we get lost or we get trapped or we get eaten. And we realize that we have gone so far away from the Lord. 
And so one of the things that we have to continually be reminding ourselves of is the fact that it is the Lord who provides for us our deepest wants and our deepest needs and our desires, which begs the follow-up question. Are we then to, to take vows of poverty? Does this mean that we shouldn't have a, a wonderful family, that we shouldn't find our identity at all, that we, or that we shouldn't have a, you know, nice cars or go on vacations or have homes? What exactly does that mean? Mean And I kept going back to the image that we've talked about over the last two weeks. Remember when we talked about our Goliath-shaped fears and how when, when we are controlled by our fears, it's like we're staring at the navel of the giant and we can't see anything else. But remember when David comes onto the scene, he's God-saturated, God-centered, which means that that's his focus. And he sees Goliath. He knows that there can be fear there. It's not that he doesn't see him, but he sees everything else, the good and the true and the beautiful, so that he knows that isn't all there is. And I think in the exact same way, when we are God-centered and God-saturated, we can have possessions, we can have houses and cars, but it doesn't mean that those things possess us because we realize that they will not meet our deepest needs. We can have families and hopefully wonderful families and friends, but they do not control us. Our identity is not found in them, which means we can love them freely rather than feeling like we have to be obsessed or oppressed by them. Rather, we can just simply love them, that we have to be god saturated. And whenever the shepherd is not meeting all of our wants, we will always ask other things and other people to meet the needs and the desires that we have, and they simply cannot. And so we begin, this passage begins with the sense that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then it goes on, this next part here, it says, he maketh me lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me Beside the still waters. I want you to just think about that. All of us have these places in creation. Maybe it's a mountain. Maybe it's a lake. Maybe it's the ocean. Maybe it's a fireplace. That when you read it or when you're there, you just can't help but just feel yourself exhale. And so I, I literally want us to just take 30 seconds right now. And I want us just to breathe and to think about that. What is that green pasture? What is that still water for you? Let's just take 30 seconds even now and just do so. You can close your eyes or not, however you would like. Our green pastures and still waters are always being interrupted, aren't they? Let's see. Um, good job, Jim. We love you, brother. Embrace it. I love this sense of these green pastures and these still waters. And I love how it says that, that, that he maketh us lie down in those things, right? Now, I don't think that this means, it's not that harsh. It's not that, you know, he takes those sheep and he's just, you know, making them, like throwing them down. But it is this sense that it is not easy, you know, as we've talked about, it is not easy for us to slow down. It is not easy for us to simply rest. In fact, I love what uh, one psychologist says. He, says. he says, as humans are the strangest of all of God's creatures because they run fastest when they have lost their way. 
Whenever it is that we are anxious, whenever it is that we're concerned or we are facing fears, what do we oftentimes do? We just think, well, we just have to go faster. We have to do more. We have to go at it harder. And if we keep doing that, then we will stumble upon peace. Then we will stumble upon the shepherd. And we just think that that's the way. When in reality, what we need to do more often than not is to simply learn things like how do we Sabbath? How do we, how do we slow down? How do we rest in green pastures? How do we lay down beside the still waters, externally or internally? Someone has said, our greatest mistakes so often are those that are made in our family or our workplace or in our relationships whenever it is that we are lost and we think that we just have to keep running even faster. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Joel Lamont uh, points out that any other time that this word path is there in the Old Testament, that more often than not it means like a trench or a rut, if you will, and And usually what it is is a place that ox carts have kind of made in the pathway, right? They just, they keep going. And so so there's this sense that when we are following the Lord, there's this sense that we have found our ways into those ruts of righteousness, those, those pathways, and we've adjusted our cart and they're fitting beautifully right in there. And we are able to go with such more smoothness, if you will. It doesn't mean there aren't troubles or issues. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But most of us know when we are aligned with God, when we are really following God well, that internally at least we can kind of feel that sense of that connection with God and that connection with others. And when we're not, the way becomes much bumpier. It's a little bit like, um, obviously, you know, uh, thinking about it this week when the snow is all over the roads and, you know, when there's been a lot of cars and they go down that one way and you can see the wheels, you can see the ruts, you want to go along that way, but then if the person in front of you is going really slow and you think, do I want to go over? But you know that if you try to go over there, you're going to have to be bumping and doing these kinds of things, right? That's the kind of life when we begin, as we were saying earlier, to chase after wants and needs from anywhere else other than God. When we begin to do that, we're just going back and forth over those ruts, back and forth, rather than simply aligning ourselves with the Lord, rather than simply going along on that way that helps us to go in a much smoother direction. But Stan Johnson in the Scott and Stan video, he also suggests that These ruts of righteousness, one of the great things about them is that it's also this reminder to us that there are always those, our spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, who have gone before us, right? And so we were reading a book called You Are What You Love as a a ministry staff, and it says one of the greatest ways, of course, for us to grow in our discipleship is to imitate others, right? To imitate those who have gone on the journey, those who are in the ox cart right in front of us, right? It is to to do that. And as I was thinking about that, um, I was reminded this week by two different people that today is a significant day in the life of ZPC. Anyone else know about that? February 6th, put it on your calendar. This is the 39th birthday of ZPC, No, I'm just kidding. So, 
But it's this great reminder. We talked about this as a session uh, just this past Tuesday about this, this reminder of those who have gone before us, right? And I'm hesitant to say names because then when you do, I, I'll forget people. But, you know, you think about Pete Hudson, Wanda Baker, uh, Chuck Voigt, uh, so many others, right, that we could name that we shouldn't forget, right? These are the ones who kind of blaze that path for us, the, the, this ruts of righteousness. And we are thankful to them. And we are, we are kind of hopefully building on those ruts that they have put in there with our own ox cart. But we are just reminded of this, those paths of righteousness, to remember that that's what this is saying. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Now, I preached on the 23rd Psalm um, just about eight years ago. You guys remember that? So I won't focus too much on this, because this was the part I really focused on, but I will at least touch on it briefly, just in case some of you have forgotten. This is this fascinating, there's two things I want us to see about this, which are really kind of fascinating. One is this, there is this switch from third person to second person that goes on in this particular part of the story. Did you, did you hear it? It goes from, you know, I will fear no evil for, it says, for thou art with me, right? Or for you art with me. It no longer is like, but God, as it was saying earlier, it's all of a sudden for you are with me. And, and that shift from a third person to a second person is a shift in intimacy. There are far too many, it seems to me, uh, far too many of us who oftentimes as we follow God, we continue to have God, which is fine to be in the third person in a sense, but there is this clear kind of intimacy that comes when all of a sudden you begin to talk to God like you rather than just he. There's this sense of, of, of imminence, if you will. Remember, one of the things that we've said about the life of David, we've said this several times now, which is that David was not perfect. The reason why he's a man after God's own heart is not because he was always a faithful father or an incredibly honorable husband. No, no, no. It's because he was always dealing with God. He was always interacting with God in the good times and the bad times. He was always talking to God. And when you deal with God like that, your intimacy begins to grow so that you begin to say you rather than just he. You begin to realize that this is an ongoing conversation. It is this remarkable shift of intimacy into one's heart. But not only that, for you are with me is also the very center, physically and theologically, of this psalm. There are 26 words before this phrase, and there are 26 words after this phrase. This is the fulcrum upon which the whole passage really relies. If you want to know what it means to have Jesus as a shepherd, if you want to know, as we'll talk about in a minute, what it is to continue to have enemies and to be at peace in the midst of that, then you have to know this part, that God is with us. That God is with us. I used um, the analogy before about my dad and uh, going into, into uh, disgusting hotels and, and just, you know, uh, and the peace that I would have from my dad being there. Uh, but just two weeks ago, actually, this was kind of unsolicited. We had that, I had that experience kind of on the flip side, which is when our uh, youngest, our six-year-old, um, um, we were just kind of having a meal. And, and she said, you know, um, you know what I do sometimes at night? And I'm like, no, I have no idea. Um, and she said, well, sometimes when I wake up and I'm scared, 
Um, whether, you know, whether it's like the creaking of our house or robbers or a bad dream. She said, I come downstairs and I come over to your doorway of your bedroom and I stand there and I just listen. And she said, as soon as I hear you breathe or snore, basically she breathes out, she goes back upstairs and she says, and then I can go back to sleep. I love that image, as I've described before, because the reality is this. The house is still creaking. When it, our house is old and when it gets cold, I get nervous in it, quite frankly. I mean, it is old and creaky. And the truth, of course, is there are still robbers that could be out there, I suppose. And she could, of course, still have bad dreams. But in the midst of all of that, because she knows that she is not alone, because she knows that mom and dad are with her, she is then able to have a sense of peace. We are never told that by walking with the Lord that we therefore would then have no enemies or no evil would, be, would, 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 um, would, would come before us. But we are always told that we will never face those things alone because God is with us because you are with us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul. He leads me in those ruts of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou, for you art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Again, remember this as Walter Brueggemann points out. Just because the Lord is with us does not mean that we will not face evil. But because of the fact that the Lord is with us, it does mean that we need not be afraid of evil. This week, I think for the first time, I was kind of really captured by the image that we're given here. That in the midst of enemies, God is a gracious host and is preparing a table before us. Have you, have you ever thought about that very much? That in the middle of all the evil, right? So in the middle of whatever it is that we might be struggling with, whatever fear that may be, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a, a medical malady, maybe it's something going on at work, whatever it may be, in the middle of all that maelstrom, in the middle of all that, there is God and he is preparing for us a meal. I was thinking about this, we, we, we said this before, it's kind of like when you're on a plane, and, and maybe you're in the middle of turbulence, right? And things are really rocking. You've been in that place before. And, and, and things are going back and forth. And you're like, man, this is it. I don't, I, I, from what I can tell, my own experience and, and what I'm feeling right now, we are going down. I mean, there is no way this is being salvaged. And you begin to think through, oh, I should have said that. I should have said I love you to somebody else. You're thinking all those things, right? Because like, this is, there's no way that this little tin funnel is going to stay up in the midst of all of this shaking. And in the very middle of that, you look up, and there's a flight attendant, and he or she's pouring water. And it might be a little rocky, right? You know. And they're giving you snacks back when they used to do that. Right? And you're sitting there, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, we're going down. This is the worst. Nothing good can come of this. And they're just being gracious hosts 
smiling and giving you the water and giving you something to drink. And it is this strange juxtaposition of these two images of my heart and looking at them. And I think in the exact same way, when we are caught up in all the struggles of life and we think it's over, we're all going down, there's no way we're going to make it. And we look up and there's God, the gracious host, and he's got the table, he's got the tablecloth put on, and he's chopping carrots, and he's doing everything to get ready. And you look up and you think, we're going down. God's like, no, you're not. I've been here. I got this table I would encourage us. It's almost this jarring image. I would encourage you that the next time you get stuck in the midst of evil or enemies or whatever else it may be, that you picture God as this gracious host. We remember that God has got this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me. Beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the interesting things about that last verse that several folks that I looked through this week talked about is that that word follow, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, it is probably better translated as pursue. Surely goodness and mercy, the goodness and mercy of God should pursue me, will pursue me, will come after me, will chase after me, will run after me. Do you think about goodness and mercy like that very often? Do you oftentimes think, you know, uh, uh, you know, in the middle of life, in the middle of struggles, do you oftentimes think if you just maybe slow down just a little bit and look back, that what's actually chasing you is going to be the goodness and mercy of God? Patrick Miller says, you know, in many of the Psalms, and we see it in the life of David, the thing that's chasing you, of course, are enemies, right? Those fear, those evils, those are the things that are chasing you. But what Psalm 23 is suggesting is what if, what if we begin to realize that what is chasing after us is God himself? What is chasing after us is God's goodness and mercy. And remember again what we just said, if we were to slow down, what might happen if we slow down and let God's mercy and goodness catch up with us? If we were to stop in those fields, those green pastures beside those still waters, rather than running when we are afraid or running when we are lost, might it not be possible that what catches us and embraces us and envelops us is God and God's goodness and mercy and love and grace? Craig Barnes says that in the Psalms, There are so many stories again and again. So often it talks about being lost and being found. It talks about sinning and being forgiven. It talks about being sent away and then coming back. And 
He says that the reason why the Psalms do that so often is because that embodies our lives. That's what our lives so often look like, which is why we need to come back to worship every week. We come back here. We come here either to hear it for the first time or we come back because we've forgotten and we need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded that the Lord is our shepherd, the one who cares for us, the one that loves us. That the Lord is the one who needs to meet our deepest wants and needs. That it is the Lord and the Lord alone who is with us and who who goes with these ruts of righteousness. It's those who have gone before us who put those things down that we can follow them. It's the Lord who in the midst of all the enemies around us is sitting there and preparing a meal for us. And it is the Lord who runs after us, who chases after us. We hear this, we learn it, and then we forget And then we come back again and we relearn it and then we forget. And then we come back again and we relearn it and then we forget and then we relearn it. But what we must always remember, this is the thing we cannot forget, is that the shepherd will keep running after you. And even when you feel like you are the last and the lost and the least, there behind you is coming God's goodness and mercy. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in ruts of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, Lord, are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness And mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are reminded yet again, due to our spiritual amnesia, that we oftentimes forgot, oftentimes forget what a blessing you are, what it means that you are our shepherd. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us even now. That you would come to us and remind us that you never stop running after us. And in so doing, whatever it is that we might be facing, might we feel your presence. Might we know that we are not alone. Amen and amen. And as we prepare for communion, I want us to take a couple minutes to hear this 23rd Psalm yet one more time in song and prepare our hearts and our minds as we prepare to eat of the bread and to drink.